The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Spring, and so um, there, that's kind of the first caveat. There's a lot there. Um, and we think, though, that this is a really important thing to talk about because probably most of you in this room have gone through hard things or have suffered, and if you haven't, you most likely will. And... Um, most people, I think, are looking for an answer of why does this happen and what do I do when I'm walking through this? Um, or maybe you've stopped looking. I think there's a lot of people who've stopped asking questions and have stopped looking for answers because it's just too hard and you, you're, you're, you keep getting hit with disappointment. And so it's like, why ask questions anymore? Why, why try and figure it out? I'm just going to live in this state of hardship. Um, but we think Jesus is the only and unique answer to this. And so we're really excited to talk about this. Um, and suffering, because it is such a big topic, there's so many different layers. So it could be globally, it could be individually, it could be in your family, it could be tribally. Um, and so um, this, this could look a lot of different ways. It could look like clean water. A lot of people don't have clean water. That's a form of suffering. Um, financial status, loss of a loved one, racism, sexism, disease, abuse, divorce, fatherlessness, body shaming, bullying, um, unable to please your parents. Maybe you've been injured. That's just to name a few. There's a whole lot. Of, of hard things that can happen to you. Um, and so um, that's just a lot to talk about in this short amount of time. Um, yeah. And, and with that, um, since every situation is going to be so drastically different in here, these are principles that we think go through suffering and are really helpful and biblical and good. But your specific situation, we're not going to be able to speak directly to that up from the front. And so that's where I think you need individual community to engage um, what's going on. Um, and then, like Ellie said, we just want to acknowledge the reason we're so thankful you're here. The reason most of you are sitting in this room is because you've had really hard things happen in your life. And we want to say before we start, we're so sorry for things that have happened that shouldn't have. You guys, Ellie just went through a huge list, but you're in here because someone you love or someone, something you've experienced in your family, it's not the way it should be. Um, and nothing we want to share today is supposed to minimize that. Nothing is supposed to take away from that or not make you, we want to help you feel that pain actually and endure it and see where does Jesus meet some of these answers. And if you're in here and you're like, well, I haven't really suffered yet. My life's been pretty easy. I grew up in a Christian family. My, everything's great. Um, we're really thankful you're here too whether it's to, you want to minister to someone who's broken or because we think the Bible over and over promises for those who love Jesus that trials are going to come. And so if it hasn't hit yet, it's going to. And we think the best time to build a good theology of suffering is before you start suffering. Because then once you're in the midst of it, I mean, most of us have probably been there. It feels so crappy, everything's terrible, and it's hard to even see straight let alone to function there. And so we think the time to build a theology of suffering is before suffering would happen. So that in the midst of it, not to fix it, but you understand what could God be doing here. And so as you probably see up here, this is the definition of suffering we want to use. Oh, sorry. Uh, the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. And there's a couple things we want you to notice about this. One is it's just pain in general. And there's not, there is levels of suffering, but pain is pain. And so... Maybe a good example. How many of you have ever stubbed your toe? Can I get a show of hands? And some of you are lying if you didn't raise your hand. But you stub your toe. It hurts. Like, everyone would say that hurts. 
Like, I've stubbed my toe a lot of times. I think it's kind of funny. Maybe you watch it on YouTube, guys getting hurt. Maybe just guys like to watch that kind of stuff. Um, it's messed up of us. But, but you've hurt your toe, and, whatever, and everyone would say that hurts. Um, but what we tend to do with suffering is even though there's pain, it's, we think, oh, it's too minimal. Like, I can't actually complain about this. I can't say that hurt, even though objectively we know pain is pain. So, like, uh, at Thanksgiving, I've, I have, like, an 11-year-old. I guess he's the son of my cousin. I don't know what that makes us. Um, but he was on a wrestling team. He was running off a wrestling mat, and somehow his toenail caught the edge of the mat, and it ripped his big toe off. Uh, that's the reaction I was hoping for. That was good. Um, the, the whole toe came off, and then they it's had to reattach got sewn it. It's back on. disgusting. It was the first time he had been walking. The, uh, I'll get you. I can maybe try to find a picture later. But <laughs> anyways. You don't yeah, you don't want to see. The entire toe is gone. But what I think our temptation in suffering is if you have a stubbed toe, well, I can't talk about it because someone else has gotten theirs ripped off. Someone else has had it worse. Someone else has experienced more. And therefore, we shove down all of these feelings. And our definition of pain is anything that causes pain, something that's a stubbed toe, is still wrong in this world. And that should be addressed. Um, another example of this, Alexis over here, one of my good, good friends. But in my fifth year uh, of college, I blew out my knee. I had no cartilage in my knee, so I had to get holes drilled in my femur and fibula. I had to be on crutches for a few months, no weight-bearing. And I remember, and I was discipling Alexis at the time, and he had tendonitis, and in no way minimizing that. And as I sat across from him and he would talk about the pain of tendonitis, not being able to lift like he wanted, not being able to run like he wanted, being stuff taken away from him, I remember thinking so critically and being like, you don't even get it. Do you realize how bad my knee is? I would kill for just that option. And what it did is it took away any ability to speak into his pain. I made it all about Nate. And I think this is what we do in suffering, whether we think we've suffered more or less than someone else. Instead of acknowledging pain is pain, we try to put levels on it, and we take away from the ability to engage it. And so we're saying um, that's not true. While there is different consequences, the guy who gets his toe ripped off is going to have a lot longer recovery time than me who stubbed my toe today. There's different levels of pain, but it's still pain. And so everyone who's sitting in here, this t a talk applies to you. Or maybe the other side of that is you think, well, I haven't suffered that least. My life isn't like that. Mm -hmm. um, like Eric, yeah, sure. I think, so when I was growing up, I had, uh, I lived in an abusive house. But I remember thinking when I was younger, like, well, you can't tell. Like, I don't look like I've gotten beaten up. Like, some people I know. Like, I'm, it's not that bad. Like, yeah, this sucks. But I, sh I, I just had, like, a more positive outlook. And I was like, I'm just going to, like, I don't have it that bad, you know? Like, other people have it way worse. And that was kind of how I, I pushed down pain and I pushed down feeling like I could, I could feel sad because someone else had it worse. Mm -hmm. So those could be the two ways you go. And then before we really jump into the main topic, if we can get the next slide, we want to talk about, I think there's three types of suffering. This might be an oversimplification, but I think this is helpful, and hopefully this makes sense. So number one, uh, I'm just going to turn it because it's easier. There's been sin done towards you or against you. Number two is the natural world. And number three is a sin you have committed. Um, and so Ellie's going to give a couple examples of the first one, sin yeah, that's been so done towards you. Things that have happened to you is, is something that's not your fault. So you've gone through something, whether that is abuse or divorce of your parents or addi drug addiction from someone around you. These kinds of things or, or parents that leave, like, that is hard, but it's not your fault. Like, it just happened to be you that it happened to. And so if, does that make sense? Like, sin being done towards you, something that's not your fault. 
but you're still living in. And, and it causes massive damage, and it's trials and tribulation of a unique kind. But it, sometimes it makes sense because there's someone to blame. Do you get that there? There's someone who has done something to me. Number two is the natural world, and we're going to get into this. It's actually kind of the unnatural world, but it's stuff you have no control over. So like Hurricane Katrina a few years ago, I mean several years ago, maybe it's dating me. It's like no one did something wrong there, and all of a sudden this came. No one sinned against them, but there was a massive hurricane that destroyed life as they knew it. Um, but it's things that happen in nature. So hurricanes, death, sickness, disease would be a big one here. A uh, couple in my life, my mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was five. So she had a brain tumor. They did massive surgery because no one lived. She had a 5% chance of surviving, and she's still alive. Um, but, yeah, it's worth clapping for. And yet it's been so challenging because my mom has disabilities and massive damage, and I grew up essentially without a mom because she couldn't take care of me. She didn't have the ability to say, I love you, and ask questions and put me on her knee and talk to me that everything was going to be okay. And it, but the thing was, it wasn't because she was malicious and because I had done something wrong. or She was, gonna, she was just incapable. Cancer had taken that from her. And so this is a natural thing. A house fire would be another instance. Like, we didn't do anything wrong. The, the house burned down. We lost everything. And who do I blame? I can't say, oh, my dad did this. It's like, it just happened. And then the third one, pain because of sin you've done. So maybe an easy example of this would be like, let's say you're, you have a significant other and you were to cheat on them. And you might think, my life has gotten really tough now because I got caught cheating on my significant other. But it's like, there's a, there's a part, you've done that to yourself. There's consequences of sin in what you've done. And what we want to say here is, I think some of the truths and apply yeah, it's to... it's still pain. Like it's, it's still pain, yeah. And it's still hard to live through. And the truths we're going to talk about apply to all of these three things, but we're primarily talking to the first two. Because I think with the third one, it's much easier to understand, I did this to myself. This is my fault. The reason she doesn't trust me is because I did this. And I need to make up for that. And so some of these truths still apply, but we're primarily talking to when someone has, like, say, abused you or done sin towards you or something that happens in this natural world. Does that make sense? Great. Um, so this is going to be our point number one, now that we're done with all these caveats. The world was not supposed to be this way. Um, and so I think we've seen this really clearly from Mac. Um, he's, he's laid out Genesis 1 and 2. But God goes in, he creates stuff, and after everything he creates, he says, it is good. And he creates humans, and he says, it is very good. And he rested, but everything was made perfectly. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. There was no trials, there was no death, there was no suffering, there was no cancer. There was none of these things that we now just consider normal. It's the normal aspect of our life, and yet it actually isn't normal at all. But Adam and Eve, like Max said, instead of choosing to continue walking with God, said, I would rather walk with Satan, I would rather have the fruit, try to be like God. And they brought a fallenness and destruction on this world, where the first time we saw death in this world was God killing animals to clothe them. And then the first times they really got to see the pain of their sin was their son murdered their other son. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world without death? And the first time you really get to see human death is because your kid killed your other kid because of your messed up sin. And so um, we know the end of the story, and we're going to get there much more, is, is going back to this. But we're stuck in this middle ground where stuff is happening that shouldn't be. And we feel the wrongness of that, and that's why we're sitting in a talk like this. Because something bucks up in us that is wrong, 
because life is good. And so we start asking the question, what do we do? And what in the world is God doing? And how could a faithful, loving God do any of this stuff? Um, because we feel the wrongness of what we live in. And so when we walk through this type of pain, um, I think whether you're a Christian or not Christ, not a Christian, anyone can look at the world and say, yeah, there's brokenness. There's really hard things in this world. Like, that's a big reason people don't believe in Christ because they're like, how does a good God exist and there's all this pain in the world? Um, and yet through time, humans have attempted to deal with the pain. If they don't have Christ, it's like, what do I do? Like, how do I deal with what I'm walking through right now? big generalization but the two big categories that coping like we say like oh how do you cope with that like that's that's something we do is how do we how do we work through this pain the first one is numbing and the second one is distracting ourselves um I'm gonna talk about those two quick before the religion but um so numbing is like kind of what I said earlier about you're just so sick of feeling in general that you just numb yourself like I'm so sick of feeling this pain or um, this, these hard things in my life that it's just easier not to feel. And so you like live in this state of neutrality where it's just easier to kind of deaden yourself inside and to run to things that kind of help you deaden yourself inside so that you don't have to walk through the highs and the lows of life. Um, and then distraction would just be things you run to because you feel the pain. And it's like, where do I go? What else can I focus on? What else can I, can I give my attention to so I'm not focusing all the time on this pain? And I think in our culture, we talk a lot about our phones and Netflix and the Internet. Um, but I think there's a lot, of, a lot of things that can fall into that category. Um, maybe buying things, eating, not eating, sports. There's so many distractions um, that we can throw throw our way so that we're not looking at the pain. And I think, um, well, actually, it, will that clip work? I'm going to try and show an example of distraction. We, I don't think we can get volume. Oh, we can't get volume. Okay, that's okay. So I was going to show the Ready Player One. I don't know if you've seen the preview, but basically there was kind of like this apocalypse in the world type of thing, and it and it's sucks to live there. And so everyone goes to this virtual reality, and he says, like, everyone comes here for what they can do, but everyone stays for what they can be. I think that's... I think that's what, what it is. And I just think it's a really good picture of, of the reality of how humans live. As we experience pain, what do we do with that pain? Um, and I think another form of distraction is kind of this picking yourself up by your bootstraps, that old saying of, if I just put in the work, like people say, okay, I'm just going to work really hard in school. I'm just going to get a really good job. Um, I'm going to play really well at my sport. I'm going to throw all my distraction into working, and then I can see something that's going to be worth living for, and I'm not going to feel the pain anymore. And I think that's also a distraction because it's never dealing with what is inside. You're just looking somewhere else. You're just putting your effort somewhere else. That pain is still there. What you're walking through is still there, and it's never been dealt with. Um, and I think religion would be the third one. Um, and so whether that's like, you know, you think of, of other religions, of like karma, of earning God's favor. Well, that person has a really bad life because in the last life they must have really screwed it up. Or um, I, I, a lot of cults and a lot of other religions, it's be a better person, put in the work. Like maybe if I do all these right things, God will, God will have favor on me and then life will be better. If I just do the right things, then I won't feel this pain anymore. Um, and I think, I think that ch our Christian church, too, has 
done a really great job in entering suffering and at the same time has done a poor job, our tendency is to want to put band-aids on things. And so maybe you've, ha- you've walked through hard things and you've even gone to the, to the church or to a Christian or to a staff person and you've tried to share things and the response you get is like a band-aid. It's like, well, God works all things together for good. And you're like, well, I don't feel good. Like, that's not how I feel right now. Like, that is true. God says that in his word. And yet, that's just kind of like a, you're not dealing with how someone's actually feeling and what they're actually going through. You're just slapping kind of this truth on and not actually digging deeper. Um, Or you ask someone, like, how are you doing? And they're like, well, better than I deserve. And it's like, that doesn't tell me anything about how you're, you know, how you're actually doing. You're just saying what I deserve is nothing. But, you know, I'm I'm in a state of pain, but but they're not being honest. Um, and so I think, I think as Christians and as a church, like to learn how to dive into pain and not just slap on distracting band-aids um, is, is just something we need to work on. Um, and then Jesus, Jesus actually says in John 9, this is kind of popping back to the religions thing, the religious thing, um, in verses 1 through 4, he, the disciples, he heals this blind man, and the disciples ask, well, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus is like, no, it's not because of sin. It's so that the glory of Christ may be revealed in this man. So not only when this man got healed from blindness did he see his Savior face to face, did he experience the love and healing of Christ, but God's glory was displayed in his brokenness, in his suffering, in the reality of he couldn't see. Like Christ got glory and he got healed and he got to see his Savior. And so I think, I think the, the religious lie too of like, well, who sinned? Why, why is this bad thing happening to this person? Because someone must have sinned. Someone must have done something wrong. Um, and I think, I think also we, we ask the question in this pain, so why me? And I think that's a natural question. I don't think that's a bad question to ask. I think that naturally comes up when we're walking through hard things. Deep down we know, like something about this life just isn't right. And this question, in, in a lot of sense, puts God on trial. So you, what you're doing is you're asking God, okay, do you even love me? Um, do you know what's best? Um, don't I deserve a little bit better? Um, and only our God can meet this questioning with love and meet you where you're at. And I think not, not telling God how you're actually feeling, not going to him is, is lying. Like he knows. He knows what you're going through. And I think just keeping it to yourself, like, is not only harmful for yourself, but it's also lying to your creator. Um, and, and I believe God is a good father, and he wants to hear what you feel, what you think, what you're going through. Um, and we have someone else's life to look at um, where these things happened, where he, he suffered. Someone suffered severely. Everything went wrong, um, and we can relate because of him. Yeah, that's great. And I think just one is, if maybe you're in here investigating Christianity, as you think about, Ellie made the point of religions, did you notice that other religions, typically how they deal with pain and suffering is you deserve this from past? Like, it, it's your fault. I think Christianity is one of the only religions that gives a good answer for this is a messed up world back to Adam and Eve and versus you did this, I did this, and now this is my life. They only have the category of suffering as that third category. You have sinned. And therefore, what you deserve is this. Um, and so we do want to look at Jesus, not because it's just a Sunday school answer, um, but it's so much better. So if we can get the, yeah, so he's known as the suffering servant. Um, Mac mentioned that this morning. Um, but I want to read this verse, and then we want to go through two specific ways that Jesus empathizes and sympathizes with us that maybe you haven't heard. So 
Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And what I want you to notice there too is it says, but one in who every respect has been tempted. And we want to lay out, we think this really means in every respect. Like whatever you're feeling going through, there's a ton of different stories out there right now. He gets it and he's felt it more. And so how many of you have ever had a situation that sucks and you tell someone about it and it feels like they cannot empathize or sympathize? Good, I'm talking to the right people. Um, Same. I think the most clear moment of this in my life was after our house burnt down. So I was on my way to work at, this was four years ago, I guess, just after Thanksgiving, four years ago. And I was on my way to work at uh, the university, working the front desk. And I I saw I had a missed call from my dad, but I didn't pick it up because I was on my way to work. And then I just saw a text message. The fire started, house is gone, nothing left. And I walked into work and I'm like, well, I'm stuck here now. And I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to feel. I'm like, what do you mean everything is gone? I was raised in this house. I have stuff there. Um, is mom okay? Is that a, and it was like, call them, eventually get a hold of me. Yep, we're all okay. Um, but everything is gone. And so as I started trying to endure this, I started talking to Reed and other guys mentoring me and friends around me of like, this sucks. I don't know how to think about it. And what I was met with over and over again was people who just didn't get it. They just didn't understand. I felt like I was talking to a wall where I would describe some of what I was feeling. And I, what I would get back is usually really unhelpful things like, hey, at least no one was hurt. And I was like, I get that too. I don't want my family to be hurt. Do you realize we just lost everything? We have nothing left. My dad has a toothbrush from Walmart, and that is it. And my family's, I'm just after knee surgery. I can't even help. Or I had a couple friends who mentioned something because I don't have style at all, um, especially at this point in my life. Ellie's tried to help me a little bit. Uh, um, But they said, well, at least all your clothes burned down so you can get new stuff. And I remember just being like, you think that's funny right now? Like, I have lost everything, and it feels so hurtful. And then a guy in our ministry, Paul Potiti, the regional director, was like, I think you need to have lunch with Devin Smith. And I was like, I'll have lunch with Devin Smith. I like Devin. Got staff guy, talked to him. Turns out his house burned down in college. And so we sat across from the table, and we started dialing. I started saying, this is how I feel. And he's like, yes, and you feel this and this. I was like, yes, you get it, finally someone. And we talked and talked, and I was like, that was so helpful. And it was just completely different because he got it. He had experienced it, and he understood, and this is what Jesus has done. So point number one, if you want to go to the next slide, Jesus sympathizes because he endured it. And so I'm going to go through, this is just a few examples, um, might look like a lot of examples, but a few examples of ways he specifically endured stuff that you probably have endured. Number one, loss of death. Well, it, it says loss of death, so death. <laughs> it would be death, I can't type, English grammar is not my strength. Um, but death. So specifically with the story of Lazarus in John 11. And so Jesus, as he's going to see his friend, his friend dies. And easiest verse to memorize in the Bible, if you want to start with scripture memory, Jesus wept. Dude lost it because his son or his friend had died. And what's crazy about this story is he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. You realize that? He wept, even though he knew, I'm about to raise this guy. We're all going to be happy. It's going to be a celebration. Because the ending, it's a little soapbox, the ending, and just because the story's good, doesn't mean you don't grieve. You see that here? But, so if you've experienced death, someone in your family, friends, anyone has died, Jesus gets it. He has felt it. Family rejecting him. In Luke, we get uh, 
his family saying he's out of his mind. They try to capture him and silence him. His own family, who he grew up with, they're like, this dude is crazy. And I wonder how many of you felt that with your family. Like they want something, they don't trust what I say. They're embarrassed of me. They, they feel these things. I feel rejected there. Um, the disciples betraying him. We have Judas, ultimate betrayal, betrays him to his death. We don't probably need to go into why that would hurt so much there. But Peter, hey, I'm with you to the end, Jesus. And he's like, you're going to deny me three times in front of like a little schoolgirl, some Pharisees, and some other people. And everyone ditched him. Have you ever had everyone leave? You know what it feels like? You're alone. And at one point, um, all his disciples leave, and he turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave too? Because everyone disappeared from Jesus. He gets what it feels like to be betrayed and to be left. Um, he knows what it's like to be homeless. Um, guy says in Luke 9, I want to follow you. And he says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. I'm homeless. I'm just walking on the street. Do you really want to follow me? Let alone him leaving heaven to come down here. He was tempted by Satan in a more direct way than I think any of us have ever been tempted, where Satan says, do these things. If you are the son of God, and he endures it and is faithful. He was misunderstood all throughout. Just read any of the Gospels. He was misunderstood constantly. If you've ever felt misunderstood, like, man, I say something and just Ellie never understands me. He gets it because everything he said, his, his parables, his teachings, his stuff, and people didn't get it. Even Max Sow's example earlier with Peter, we, he was misunderstood constantly. Even when he was on the cross and they're saying, hey, can't you save yourself? You can save others, but not yourself. They didn't even get it then. I could save everyone else by saying no to myself, or I could save myself and everyone's condemned. We, he was misunderstood. People saw his life. Maybe we can't relate as much to this, but have you ever had people trying to actively kill you your, most of your life, your last three years of life? Like, he gets it. And then even people are using me. Maybe you felt like people are only want me for my family's resources or for the things I can provide or for better grades, and they, they don't actually love me. You just said people came to me for signs and not for me. And so Jesus felt all the, and this is not an all-inclusive list. This is a start. Um, I think how Jesus can be so helpful in the midst of sin and your temptation and everything else is you can find examples where Jesus experienced the same thing you feel now and are experiencing now, except he was faithful. And he accomplished it and did it perfectly so you don't have to. Now you can whine and moan and complain and do everything else because Jesus already did it perfectly and he takes that on. Um, but how we know Jesus is with us and loves us is his own grief, his own betrayals, his own, the sin that was done around him, and yet he was faithful in the midst of it. Yeah, so not only does he understand our, our suffering and has walked through it, but he personally loves people who are suffering. He loved them, and he still loves those who are suffering. And so there's a few examples up here. There's many of them. But he heals a whole group of lepers, ten of them, only one stops and thanks him. The rest go on their way. Um, but these people were outside of the city, and the Lord goes to them and heals them. I love this story in Mark of the leper who it says he touches him to heal him, which lepers were not even allowed into a city, let alone like this close where I could get close enough to touch you. Jesus touches him and heals someone who has suffered massively. The woman at the well, she was an outcast. She was known as kind of a floozy. Um, it's not, it wasn't normal to see men conversing with women, and yet Jesus did. He sat with her. He loved her. He said, this is who I am. You can have living water that lasts forever. Like, I want you to have that, um, and, and spends time with her and knows what she's gone through. Um, the woman with the flow of blood, this is also one of my, one of my very favorite 
passages in scripture. So this woman is unclean. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She spent all of her money. She has no resources. Um, she's an outcast. And she doesn't have a name in this passage. There's no name. He's on his way to see Jairus' daughter. And in front of a whole crowd, he heals her. He says, she's my daughter. He gives her a name. He says, she's my daughter. That's what you need to know. She's accepted and she's healed. Um, and he associates all over the Gospels, but especially in Luke, with outcasts, cripples, widows, sinners, everyone who in that society they viewed as, as less than and people who probably went through suffering, people who had it really hard. Um, and there's a lot of other places in the Bible, too. You can go to the next slide. Um, just of how the Lord cares about us and what we're going through. Um, Psalm 56, 8, I love this verse. It says, he bottles our tears and counts our tossings. So every sleepless night that you've had thinking about things or not knowing what you're going to do, he's literally counted. They may have felt long to you, but the Lord has counted every time you've turned in your bed. Your tears are precious to him. He holds them. He bottles them up. He cares about every tear that you've shed. Um, he's with us in the valley of the shadow, Psalm 23. Even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night, the dark night is as bright as the day. That's Psalm 139. He hears my cry, Psalm 116. He's with us in Deuteronomy. Um, so all of these things are true about, about him, but how do we know? You might be asking, how do I know that this is actually for me? Like, how do I know I can come to him? How do I know I can cry out to him? And what good does that do me? Like, what, what good does that actually do me? Um, the next part of Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16, um, Nate had the, the first portion of the verse up there. Says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we can confidently come to him. And this is not to minimize anyone's pain or anyone's suffering, but Jesus suffered ultimately. He is the only person that God has actually turned his back against. It might feel like your whole life the odds are stacked against you and nothing has gone right. And yet Jesus is the only person that God completely turned his back against. Because he bore our sin. Because he took it on himself. And yet we still, and he, he enters into our suffering. And we, so we can confidently come before him and say, like Max said, like, we're with him. He's with us. Like, we're, we're one and the same because of what he did. So we can confidently approach him. He knows. He understands. He felt it, and he loves us. He loves all of those stories in the Bible and all of those passages where he says, tell me about it. Like, like I care. I want to know, and I want to I bear that with you. The Isaiah said he's acquainted with our grief and with our sorrow. And so maybe summarizing this section before, we just have one more section and some practicals. So the world is not how it's supposed to be. It's broken. It's wrong. What you have felt is wrong because of the world's not. And what I think is amazing about that is, Jesus, the Almighty God, everything else, chose to come into that and feel it even more deeply than we did, which allows us to come to him in confidence. It changes everything. He no longer becomes this figure that lived 2,000 years ago or that lives way up the sky and doesn't care, but he loves the broken more. And so if you feel broken, if you feel tired, exhausted, you're in really good company because that's who Jesus adores and comes for. And so we're going to go to suffering has a purpose. Um, and I'm just going to acknowledge this. At the front, I'm not going to make it through this section, I don't think, without crying at some point. So just bear with me, and Ellie will pick it up if I lose it too much. Um, and before we talk about this, so maybe you've heard other talks on this, and this is the part that they hit on the most. And this is significant. This is truth. We cling to this. We hold to it. Few things have been more impactful in our lives than this, than this truth of what God is doing in the midst of suffering. And yet, like Ellie said earlier, this is not a band-aid to fix all. This is not, well, my life feels like it's sucky right now. Well, he's working it for good, and therefore... 
I just move on. But these are things we cling to and we hold on to with all of our grip. Because in the midst of stuff, we need a confidence in the Jesus and God that we have. And so, um, so I want to convince you that suffering does have purpose. And I want to do that by convincing you that Christ's suffering had a purpose. We just went through all of these things of unfair things that happened to Jesus. And yet, hopefully most of us in here can maybe articulate the reason Jesus came and died and lived this life was to bring us to him. And before he, he actually dies on the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's saying, Lord, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this, essentially. Please, would you do this? I'm sw- he's sweating blood out of the stress of it. And God said, no. You realize that? The best thing that has ever happened to any of us was God saying no to Jesus right there. Because he could have said yes, and then we're all screwed. But he said no. And so I want to give you encouragement, even in your suffering right now, I feel like it just keeps going. And maybe he's saying no for now, but the answer is going to be yes. Um, But in the same way that Jesus' suffering brought life to all of us, God says there's a clear plan for our suffering. So a couple verses I think are really helpful. So Romans 8, 28. And we know for that those who love God, big caveat, this is for only for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. When you stub your toe, it's for good. When your house burns down and it's crushing you lose everything, it's for good. When you have a mom that can't function and never has seen you and been able to react to you like you are my son with whom I'm well pleased, it's for my good. And when you have a drug addict dad, it's for her good. And this is not the band-aid to fix all of it, but it's true. In Genesis 50, 20, Joseph's talking. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me when his brother sold him and put him in the pits. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive today. Um, He's not saying, oh, this terrible thing happened. I have no idea what to do with it. It was intended from the beginning to be for good because it forces you to run to Jesus. It takes away identity, it takes away these things, and it does a lot more than that. But my house being gone made me think, where is my real house? My mom struggling and our lives sucking and me trying to practice to smile to get better and to look happy was so that I would realize I can't put hope in my family. It fails, but there's a family that never fails. Um, Jim Cofield uh, had a really, he did our staff training a couple years ago and had a really remarkable quote. And we talked a lot about God as our author. God is writing this story. And in one of the first things he talked about, he said, any great story that's ever been written, whether you're Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, whatever, whatever you would want to put in this, this is great story, has struggle and issues in the middle and redemption. And he said, any really good story, if you stopped it too soon, would be a tragedy. Because it ends in the depths of mistakes, sin, issues, hurt, pain. But we know that the story keeps going. And that's not just death. That's saying we have a good author who's intending this for good, who's moving forward towards us. And we know how the story ends. Second Corinthians, really great verse up there. Uh, but the passage, or sorry, I'm not going to read all of it just because we're starting to run out of time. But we have a, it's a small pain now for an eternal weight of glory that we're, we're getting. Um, in another moment, and I think this, is, this was really helpful for me. I went to counseling for a while. I met with this guy named Jack Delk. I told him all about my mom, what I thought was this miserable story. And I, I got done with that. And this guy started just crying. And I was like, oh, I must have told that really well. <laughs> like, I really captured his attention. And he's, and I'm like, I'm not crying. I don't know what's wrong with him. And he eventually, 
what eventually got out was he said, Nate, um, like why I'm crying is because I think you are getting a chance to see redemption with your mom in a way I'm never going to get to because of the trials we've experienced. Um, and I think that's so true. I think as you're sitting here with massive stuff that have happened in your life, you're going to get a chance to see redemption in heaven in ways other people who haven't experienced this will never be able to. I'm going to see a mom who's not disabled and can run and can actually function um, and be like she was supposed to be instead of the shell of herself that I've had my entire life. And I don't know what it is for you. There's so many things. Revelation 21.4 talks about there will be no more tears, no more dying, no more pain. There's going to be no more miscarriages. There's going to be no more divorce. There's going to be no more drug addictions. There's going to be no more mean words. There's going to be no more of any of these things. And oh, we're going to get redemption in a whole new way, and it's going to be amazing. And the brokenness now is just going to lead to more glory and more excitement in what Jesus has done. And knowing the end of the story allows us to actually engage the pain here because there's hope. Wait, I'm going to add one more thing. Sorry, I forgot. Um, we, we sang a song earlier, but we have such a good, good daddy. And we're going to see it in heaven. Yeah, there's going to be justice. All the wrongs are going to be righted. The abuse, the, the issues that have been there, all these things we've been talking about, they're going to be righted. There's going to be a day where he says, you're mine, and he takes you with you, and it's, it's going to be bliss, and we have a good, good daddy. Yeah, and so with a topic like this, it's hard to have practicals, and yet we don't want you guys to leave without, like, okay, what do I do now? Like, what is, like, a first step? Like, okay, we get, like, the Lord entered our suffering. There's a purpose for it, all these things. What can I do? Um, and so, and I would say, too, the, the reason we, we didn't start with suffering has a purpose is I think that is what a lot of people jump to. And the first two big, massive, important parts is just it is okay to, to mourn and to grieve and to recognize suffering. And I think we're way too quick to go to the, like, you know, what, what are the practicals or what is the good in it instead of like, this is hard. I need to sit in this. I need to acknowledge that this is wrong. This is not how it was supposed to be. Um, and so I also went to counseling for a little bit. And the first thing which um, my counselor said, he said, Ellie, I think you need to grieve some of the things that you've walked through. I think, I think you need to mourn. And I think as we were talking about through this talk, when there is suffering like Jesus did, like he mourned, he grieved, he wept. And I didn't even know how to do that. I still, in, in a lot of ways, I'm learning how to grieve because I've, I've just managed it. I've coped it with positivity, and I didn't have it as bad as some people did. Uh, but I think there's something so biblical about grieving. And to start there, it's like, even that, it's like, well, how do you do that? Like, that's, that's hard to do, guys. Like, that, like I'm saying right now, it's hard for me to do. Um, and I think there's, there's several ways you could think about this. So um, it could be maybe you write, maybe you don't know how to pray or talk to the Lord. Maybe that feels hard. Maybe you write a letter to God and say, this is all the things I've walked through. And I just want to tell you about it. Um, maybe, maybe it is prayer. Maybe you speak to him. And maybe it's just acknowledging like, man, I've walked through some hard things. Maybe it's, there's a song that really resonates with you about, about the brokenness in the world. I think things like that to help start grief, it's not to stay there. It's not to always be a sad person. But I think to grieve the wrong in the world is a right thing. Um, and, and then the second one is, that is to talk to the Lord, um, but also to others, others that can be trusted. And I think grieving alongside people is, is so important and so key. Um, 
So maybe that's today, like someone in this room you, you leave with, someone you can trust, um, or someone at New Year's conference or someone back home where you just you start to share some of the things you've walked through. Um, and, and Nate and I love counseling. We think it's such a help. Um, and so I would say, too, like even talking to a counselor or talking to someone who's trained in walking through hardship is such a valuable thing. Um, and there's a lot of good, actually, free resources for college students. So, um, I mean, I couldn't afford to go to counseling when I was in college, and so I was really blessed to find a free option. So those, those are out there. Um, thirdly would be content. And so if all you did was listen to a 40-minute talk on suffering and you've gone through hard things, I think that, that that's not enough. And so I think to engage this topic further, whether that's sermons or podcasts or reading a book, there's so many good resources on hardship and suffering. Um, and then um, fourthly would be to help others. Um, and Second Corinthians says, the God who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. And I think this is a level of help. Like I said, it's, it's, this, it's done rightly, not Band-Aid, not the like, well, at least your, your family's okay, that sort of thing. But, but really being able to resonate and say, I've grieved. I've walked through that first step of I've grieved, and now I want to help someone. Like, I, I want to sit with someone and say, hey, I get you. Like, I get where you're coming from. I've been there too. And I think, I think the church is the, the great body of Christ that comes alongside each other, and we bear each other's burdens because we have a greater hope. Um, and so I think with that, we're going to end because we're over. Um, but Because there, there's going to be another seminar in here at 3.30. But Nate and I will be in the back. If you just want someone to talk to um, or have thoughts or um, want prayer or anything like that, we'll just hang back there for a couple minutes. And then, yeah, I would encourage you to just talk to someone you came with about some of the things you're walking through. So I'm going to pray. And one last thing maybe with uh, the engaging others. So it's like the house fire. Not many people have had their houses burned down. And it's hard to talk about that stuff. And there's a lot of things you're going to experience where it's like, I don't know how to talk with them that, but everyone can listen. Let me just challenge you, how could you listen and be a friend? And you don't have to have experienced it. And how can you help them love Jesus more? And so I'm going to pray for us. Yeah. And so, Lord, this feels like too short of a time. It feels like a blur to go over it, all these things. And, um, Lord, we did an inadequate job um, trying to present all these things and all the truths and words that you have in your scriptures um, and yet, Lord, would it be helpful? Would these men and women sitting in front of us, would they get to experience redemption one day? And would we look forward to a day where we all get to celebrate and all of these pains and sins and issues are taken away? And where you can talk to someone in heaven and not have any worry about if they're judging you or objectifying you or defining you by the color of your skin, but all will just get to celebrate and worship Jesus together. Um, so would these men and women feel that you're near? Would they know that you're so close to the brokenhearted, that you know this world is, gone, this is broken and it pains you more than anyone else, and yet you're there, you're close, and you never leave or forsake because you already left and forsake Jesus so that we would never have to be forsaken. So thank you for your son. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.